Tonight is part three of our six-part series titled, What is the Gospel? Um, highly inspired by Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Gospel? I highly recommend that uh, to all of you guys uh, to read it. If you're being discipled, maybe read it with your discipler. If you uh, ask your parent, go through it with your parents. If you're great for family devotions, uh, what is the gospel? Uh, last week, does anyone remember what last week was about? If you could sum it up in one word, Josiah. Okay, good. So yeah, we said it was the foundation, and who or what was the foundation? God. God. Yeah. So we looked at God uh, being the foundation of us understanding what is the gospel. Does anyone remember if we were to break up the gospel into four parts, how we might break it up, Max? God, man, Christ, response. Yeah, God, man, Christ, response. Good. So if we looked at God last week, what might we look at this week? Man, good. Yeah, there's a few ways you could have figured that one out, okay? I'm glad that Max was the only one that could figure that out. All right. So we are in, uh, I'm calling this the problem, which is man the sinner. Last week we looked at the foundation being God, now the problem being man, the sinner. Now when I say man, just to clarify, women don't think, yeah, men are the problem. That's not what I'm saying, all right? It may be true in most cases, but I'm talking about humanity, all right? Humanity. Ethan, we know, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Adam does specifically get the blame. Yeah, exactly, right? And we're, yeah, we're going to look at that tonight. So good, good little tease there, Ethan. All right, guys, let me pray for us, please. Uh, Ask for God's grace to be upon us as we look to his word and look at his gospel. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the sweet time of fellowship and singing of praises to you we've already had this evening. Lord, we pray that we would have a blessed and worshipful time as we look to your word. God, as uh, we seek to answer the question, what is the gospel? And we see, Lord, ourselves as, um, and the sin in us as the problem. Lord, I pray that we would not only see our great need for you, uh, but Lord, that we would see the great hope we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that your word would be uh, accurately proclaimed. Lord, that we would see your truth tonight. Speak to us through your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I think it was, somewhere around there, definitely between 10 and 15, uh, I was driving down just this main street, Contra Costa Boulevard, and uh, my phone rings, my cell phone. And so, of course, I naturally pick it up, and I start talking on the phone, uh, and as I'm driving, and as I'm chatting... On my phone, I see, probably about a few minutes into my conversation, a motorcycle cop just pulled directly behind me. And I was like, oh, I gotta go, bye. I hang up, and uh, I'm just looking in my mirror, looking in my mirror, and uh, as I'm there, I'm just like pretending. I, I, I kind of put my, my hand like on, on my face like this, like, like I'm driving, you know, and just like, oh yeah, I didn't have my phone in my hand. I'm just resting my hand on my face, you know? And then, all of a sudden, I see the red and blue lights go on. And I'm like, no, not me, right? It must be someone else, right? And sure enough, they're still on, so I pull over, and then there comes the motorcycle right behind me. Uh, and he said, 
were you on the phone, on your cell phone? And I said, no, are you blind? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> that would be horrible. I wouldn't lie to him. I said, yes, I, I was. And he said, oh, you know, that's that's against the law. Is it still against the law? I think it is, right? It has to be hands-free, right? Yeah. So, and, and especially back then, it was like, I think when they were first really putting it into place. Um, and I said, yes, I know. Uh, he was okay, I'm going to write you a ticket. Uh, and so he did. And so he gave me a ticket. And I, I took the ticket home. And there was a couple, you know, you fill out your information. It has the information that he listed. And such as this day and time and street and blah, 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 blah. And there was a couple boxes I could check. There was one box I could check that said innocent. And I could go to court and it said like a different day or time or something like that of when I can go to court and stand before the judge uh, and explain my case and plead my innocence to him. Or I could check the box that said guilty and then pay the fine. I think it was like 120 bucks or something like that. Uh, what do you guys think I did? <laughs> innocent. Oh, I checked guilty. I was guilty. Uh, no, I did not check innocent, um, even though I wanted to. Uh, and I checked guilty. And I checked the box guilty, even though I really didn't feel guilty, which is maybe why you thought I would check innocent. Uh, my conscience wasn't sorry. Really, it was like, ugh. Yeah, he caught me talking on the phone I shouldn't have. And so I marked it guilty. And I wrote my check for 120 bucks, and I mailed it in, uh, and I was like, yeah, whatever, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and I moved on with the rest of my day. Didn't really care, didn't really think twice about it, marked the box, moved on. In a lot of ways, I think people treat their sin in a very similar way. That they may know, they may admit that they are guilty, but they don't care. Uh, like me, I admitted, yeah, I was guilty. I talked on the phone, I shouldn't have. But I didn't care. And I think a lot of people view their sin in that same way, and they don't understand the weight and the seriousness of their sin. I think people often have a, a de-elevated view of sin, if that's a word. Uh, they, they, they make it their sin easier to digest in themselves. They make it their sin easier to excuse and easier just to brush off. This is actually a very dangerous way to view sin. Sin is actually a very big problem that we face. And too often we look at sin and we brush it off and we don't care that we sin. And life just kind of moves on and so do we. And we justify our small sins like illegally downloading digital content movies, music, things that we're supposed to pay for, but we find ways to download it for free. That's breaking the Ten Commandments, some of the Ten Commandments. Or whether it's cheating on homework. And we say, yeah, well, you know, it, it really was supposed to be like a group like group work. You can work on your homework together and, and share answers. Or disobeying parents. And we say, yeah, I'm a kid. Every kid disobeys their parents. Besides, my parents, they don't... They don't know what it's like to live in today's age, so it's different. They don't understand. Or we get angry, and we say, yeah, that, that's, just, that's just, yeah, I'm short-tempered. That's just who I am. Back off. I ain't already getting angry. Or we're discontent, complaining, grumbling. And these are all sins. We too often, I think, view these sins as something small, something we all do, something that's just part of life. 
just, yeah, we, we do these things. But no sin is small. Sin is a big deal. And it is essential that we have a right and a biblical understanding of sin if we're going to understand the gospel correctly. If we're going to answer the question, what is the gospel, we must discuss sin and we must understand it biblically. And my fear is that many people do not have an accurate or a biblical view of sin. And the result is not having an accurate and a biblical view of the gospel. So tonight we're going to look at two main sections. I want to break it up in this way. The, the clarification of sin, just clarifying what it is and what it means, and the consequence of sin. The clarification of sin, the consequence of sin. So my hope is that we will have a true and biblical understanding of sin so we can have a true and biblical understanding of the gospel. Okay, that's my goal for tonight. Two main points, two subpoints each. First, the clarification of sin. The first thing we say in the clarification of sin is that sin is a serious offense against a holy and righteous God. And that's building off, we're having building blocks, laying building blocks. That's building off of last week when we looked at God, the foundation. One aspect we looked, not only that he's the creator, but that he's holy and righteous and just. We're going to build off that tonight. Sin is a serious offense against a holy and righteous God. And first, I think it's important to understand what sin is, how to define sin. Anyone know how it's technically defined? Evil. It is, that it is evil. <laughs> that's good, but exactly. Yeah, Amory? Things that don't please God. Okay, that's true. Sin definitely does not please God. But as far as definition... That is true. Sin is also rebelling against God. What's the question? How you would how sin is defined? Okay, good. Not doing what you are supposed not doing what you're supposed to do doing what you're not supposed to do. Okay, good. Yeah, both ways. Exactly. How sin is typically defined could be missing the mark. Sin means missing the mark, as if like you're shooting an arrow and you miss the mark. And all those ways in which you described is missing the mark, right? But biblically speaking, I, sin is much more than just, quote, missing the mark. Because when we sin, it's not like we're aiming towards the mark, which is aiming towards the worship and the praise of God like we should. And we're just slightly off. Oh, I accidentally missed the mark. I was trying to, I was seeking to worship God. I was seeking to praise him, but I was just slightly off. No, sin is actually shooting in the opposite direction. Like, that's you missing the mark. Like, here's the target of worshiping and praising God, and you're shooting the opposite way. Sin is really a, a breaking of a relationship. It, it's a rejection of God himself. It is rebellion of the creature Against the creator. It's saying to the creator. You made me wrong. This is how I should live instead. You're wrong creator. You say I should live this way. No, no, no. I should live this way instead. Remember from last week. God is the creator of all. We, we have to remember. We have to agree upon that. It has to build from that. These building blocks. God is the creator of all. And therefore, since he is the creator of all, he alone has the authority to tell us how to live our lives, being the creator. 
Okay, imagine... Imagine I was the creator of the spatula. A spatula. Okay? And the spatula I'm describing are the spatulas that are like, you know, they're kind of angled and then they, get, they go flat. And you, they're used to flip pancakes. Or uh, eggs, sometimes. Or like to like take off the Nutella out of the bucket. That's a different spatula. Oh, oh, that spatula. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about oh, spatula, okay. you know, with an angled handle and the flat, you know, that's a spatula, right? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's a different spatula. It, it gets confusing. But I'm talking about that spatula. You know, like you flipping pancakes? Anyone flip pancakes? There you go, Talon. Yeah, I can tell. You're a guy that flips pancakes. Yeah, right? So, you know, you know what I'm talking about, that kind of spatula. Imagine I'm the creator of the spatula. And I said, you know what? I want a nice little angle. Like, first I want a little handle. And I want a nice little angle so that you can kind of come at it with the pan, you know, like from here. And then it's got to get flat so you can get right under that pancake and then, and then flip it or get under those eggs, you know, make an omelet or something, right? Like I want it to flip food. I want a spatula to get under it and be able to flip it easily. So I'm going to create this thing called a spatula. And this is how I'm going to create it for this purpose. And then let's say you – let's say you're my next-door neighbor. You – Arden says, you know what? My grass is getting very long. I really need to mow it. I think I'm going to buy a spatula. And so Arden buys a spatula. And he's like, this is, I need to use this to mow my lawn. And so Arden's out there just like spatulaing, if that's a word, spatulaing the grass and trying to mow it. And I come out my front door and I say, Arden. You're not using the spatula correctly. And he says, yes, I am. And I say, Arden, you're not. That's not what the spatula is for. The spatula is for flipping pancakes. And he says, no, I want to use it to mow my lawn. And I said, well, that's not what it was made for. It was made for flipping pancakes and food. And he says, well, who gives you the right to tell me how the spatula should be used? And what would my response be? I made it. I created the spatula. I made it for a specific purpose. I know what it was made for. It was made to flip pancakes and food, not to mow your lawn. Well, how do you know? Because I'm the creator of it. You see where I'm going with this? Does Arden have the authority to say what the spatula was made for? Does he have the authority? No. Does the spatula have authority to say, Arden? Do this instead. No. Who has the authority? Me, the creator of the spatula. The same thing is similar as we live our lives against God. Who has the authority to say what we are made for? God, the creator. Not me. Not anyone else. But God. The creator of all has the authority to say what all of creation is made for. God, being the creator and the authority, has the right to tell us that we are create what we are created to do, and specifically that we are created to worship Him. That's what we are created to do. And when we fail to do so, when we decide to reject God and to worship something or something else instead. When we choose to rebel against God, we are choosing to sin. 
unfortunately, I, I think people have too small of a view of sin. And partly because maybe they view themselves too highly. And I think mostly because they view God too lowly. They don't understand the seriousness of what it means to sin against God, against God himself. Even Christians, sometimes they view sin as simply just this this relational bump uh, between them and God. Like, oh, bummer. My bad. I shouldn't have done that, God. It's all right. No, sin is placing ourselves on God's throne and telling him that we are better and that we are calling the shots. We're saying, you know what, God, I see you on your throne. Why don't you get off from your throne for a little bit? I'm going to sit on that. In fact, while you're there, let me take the crown. Let me take your scepter. I'm sitting on the throne and you go, you can sit at my feet. I'm going to tell you how things should go. See, it's not just, oh, I, I did this wrong, sorry. No, it, it is in a sense claiming to be God yourself. It's telling God that you should be God and not him. But we need to remember who God is, as we looked at last week, that he is holy, that he is majestic, that he is so far above us, that he is God. Actually, he's the only one. And this is the God who we have sinned against. Do not make lightly of God. Do not make lightly of your sin against him. Sadly, over time, I think people get very comfortable with their sin. It happens all around us. I mean, it happens in society. If you just look at society, I think the older you get, you will be able to see this. Because you will see over time what happens. That people, the world around us becomes more and more accepting of sins. That sins in which even the world, even non-believers today will say, oh yeah, that's not okay. Years from now, they will, they will be comfortable with that sin and say, yeah, it's okay. We, 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 we got to be more accepting. We got to be more loving. And that even happens to Christians too. That at times we start saying, oh yeah, you know, maybe we should accept this sin. Yeah, you know what? Times are different. Maybe it is okay. And we become even desensitized to sin. What do I mean by that? By desensitized. It means that we're no longer sensitive to it. We're no longer sensitive to sin. That we we become accepting and we become okay with it. We should always be loving to those who sin, yes. But we should never be accepting of their sin. Saying, that's okay. Saying, yeah, that's not a big deal. Well, sin is never okay. As we become desensitized to sin, we start becoming more accepting even of our own sin. The sins that we struggle with, whether it's big or whether it's small as we classify it, maybe we become accustomed to it. Maybe we become accepting of it. Yeah, this this is just who I am. This is how I've always been. There should never be a sin in which you accept, in which you are comfortable with in your own life. If it offends God should offend you. If it's against God, you should be against it. Maybe you are living in sin right now and you've become okay with it. You've become accepting of it. Maybe it's even become an idol. I would challenge you, cut it off. Be away with it. How serious do you take your sin? 
How serious did Jesus take sin? What does he say? He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, plug it out. In fact, Christ took sin so seriously that he came here on earth out of humanity to himself and died so that we may be free of our sin, which we'll look at next week. Do you view sin with the same urgency as your Savior does? How do you do your sin? Sin is a serious offense against God. The second thing we see as we're looking to clarify what sin is and the aspects of sin, I want us to see that every single human is a sinner. We have to clarify that. That every single human is a sinner. And it started with Adam and Eve. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 3. If you don't know where Genesis is, it's the first book of the Bible. If you don't know where chapter 3 is, it's after chapter 1. It's a couple of chapters after 1. It could be. Also after 2. That's true, yeah. Good job. Also, it's before 15. Starting with Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. This is the fall. After God created everything. Here we go. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what was the big deal here? What was the big deal? That, that they ate a specific fruit? Was it that they broke a command that God gave them? Like, what's the big deal here? It's much more than, than any of that. They, they were rejecting God's authority over them. They were declaring their independence from him. And most of all, they were attempting to take his place on the throne. And this is what we do when we sin as well. That we seek to reject the authority of God and say, no, I'm the authority now. That we declare independence from God and say, no, I am going to be my own self. I do not need you. That we attempt to take the throne and say, no, I am in charge here, not you. You see, they knew the punishment of their sin. They knew ahead of time. God was very clear in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They knew. 
And yet they traded a perfect relationship with God to now become enemies of God. They traded favor with God for the pursuit of their own pleasure and their own glory. And you know, we are not much different than our great-grandparents. Like our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. We know what's right and wrong. We read it here in Scripture. We know it. But we sin anyways. Do we not? Because we would rather pursue our own pleasure. We would rather pursue our own glory. Not God's. Because when we choose to sin, we choose to glorify self and not glorify God. You and I are sinners just like Adam and Eve. And we have all rebelled against God. Romans 3 makes that very clear. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 3, verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned. No one is righteous. This doesn't exclude anyone. It doesn't exclude you. It doesn't say all have sinned. None is righteous except for Josiah. He's all right. Not you. Yeah, come on. We know better than that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say no one is righteous except homeschoolers. No one is righteous except those who go to church. No one is righteous. No, not one. See, people think they are good, but they are not. We are all wicked, wretched people. This world has too high an elevated view on humans. But we must have a biblical view on humanity. We are sinners who have sinned against God. Every single one of us. And do not think that you are excluded from this. You know, in my college days, especially my early college days, when I was with the club Veritas, we did a lot of street evangelism. Uh, very often. And I'd, often I'd ask, it'd come to the question where I'd say, do you think you will be going to heaven? Like, if you were to die today, do you think you would go to heaven? And most people would answer yes. Sometimes we'd evangelize at this campus. Sometimes we'd go to Sun Valley Mall. You guys probably don't even know what a mall is anymore, huh? Is that even a thing? Yes. Talon, you know. That's where you get your spatulas for your pancakes, right? Yeah. And often I'd say, do you think you will go to heaven? they say yes. And when I asked why, when I asked, well, why, why do you think you're going to heaven? Almost always they'd say, well, because I think I'm a pretty good person. And what makes you say that? What, what makes you say that you're a good person? Like, how do you judge? What's the deciding factor if you're a good person or not? Who's your authority? How do you know? What makes someone good? And oftentimes they would compare themselves to someone else. Oh, well, I'm not as bad as Isaac. My goodness, so I must be pretty good. And almost always they say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Yeah, okay, we know. Right, and so they say, I'm good. Yeah, I'm a pretty good person is what they say. So that's how they decide if they're going to heaven or not. Is that what the Bible says? Remember two weeks ago, part one, what is our authority? God, God's word is our authority. It has to be the word of God. Is that what the Bible says about us? Does, this Bible, does the Bible say that we are good? Does the Bible say as long as you're better than others, then you can go to heaven? His word says that no one is righteous. His word says that we all have sinned against God. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God that says you have sinned against him? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That no one is righteous. Do you believe that? Well, what else does the word say about what that means for us sinners? Now we see the consequence of sin. First, we see that we are held accountable for our sins. In the consequence of sin, we see that we are held accountable for our sins. Romans 3.19. Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every mouth will be stopped. Everyone will be silenced. Everyone will be held accountable to God. What does that mean? Well, first it means that we will stand before God. And we will have no excuse for our sin. No excuse. We will have no defense. We will be silenced. The evidence will point to our guilt. We will, without a doubt, without excuse, be guilty before God. The second, it means that we will be held accountable to him. It means that he will deal with our sin. Remember from last week that he is holy and he is just and he must deal with it. He must deal properly with our sins. And remember, we like a just God. We want justice. When someone has wronged you, you want justice to be had. We want a God who is just. But now it's time to realize that God also must be just with us as we have sinned against him. And so he must deal with us rightly. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's our sin. We have sinned. The wages of sin is death. What is a wage? Who knows what a wage is? Max? Yeah, a payment. Right? Like, this is what you earned. This is what this is your wage. Like if you guys are like, I'm going to start a lawnmowing business. But instead of using a spatula, I'm going to use a lawnmower. And so you go around the neighborhood and start mowing lawns. And you say, that's $20 a lawn. It's not a bad idea. You guys actually get into that. And you mow the lawn. And after you, okay, Mrs. Johnson, I just mowed your lawn. You put out your hand. Your little dirty hands now, they're all green and brown. And she slapped a $20 bill in your hand. That's your wage. You earned it. How'd you earn it? You mowed her lawn. And so you earned the $20. Well, the wages of sin is death. What you have earned for your sin is death. We have all earned death, physical and spiritual. You personally have earned it. Fair and square. It is your just wage. Just like When you mowed Mrs. Johnson's lawn, your just wage was $20. Well, your just wage for your sin is death. You own it. It's yours. You see, because of it, because of our sin, there is a penalty. Remember, God is a just God. He deals with sin. There will not be a sin that is not dealt with. And that means that he deals with our sins too. So what is that exactly? What is this just punishment? Well, the last thing we'll look at for today is the just punishment we all deserve. 
is eternal death and hell. The just punishment we all deserve is eternal death and hell. You can write Revelation 20, verse 10, 15. It says this. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me say that again. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what we rightly deserve for our sin against God. This is our wage. Well, first, I think we need to understand what hell is and what hell isn't. Sometimes we, you know, people throw that around, even the non-believing world. We'll say it. Though in fact we'll say it as a cuss word, which I don't think is appropriate. What hell is not? Well, first off, it's not a hangout place to have fun. Some people think that, and they think, oh, poor Christians, I'm going to be parting it up in hell. You will not. It's not a place to hang out and have fun with your friends. Also, what is it not? It's not a place to learn your lesson and get a second chance. Some people think, yeah, you know what? I'm going to reject God now. I'll go to hell, and then I'll kind of figure it out in hell and have my second chance, and then I'll go to heaven. No. It's not a place for you to learn and have a second chance. It is an eternal, uh, final destination. The lake of fire, I should say, just to clarify. What hell is not? Hell is also not ruled by Satan. Some people believe, oh, yeah, we're in hell, and... It's hot in there, there's fire, and we're, you know, walking around in chains. And there's Satan. He's red and scaly, and he's got his whip and his pitchfork, and yeah, 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 you're in hell, and he's whipping you. No. In fact, he will be cast into the lake of fire. He's not ruling it. So what is hell? If that's, if that's what hell is not, well, what is hell? Well, first off, hell is real. It is real. It's not a made-up place. It's not a, a picture, a... Uh, um, metaphor or uh, or even just something to scare people it is real it is eternal it means forever it is darkness it is loneliness it is pain worst of all it is separation from God even now God is giving grace to everyone right here right now his common hand of grace is upon us in hell, he will remove his hand of grace. And that is the most frightening thing, I think, that we can have. And it is the wrath of God being poured out upon sinners. See, people don't like to talk about hell. I, I mean, I don't like to talk about it, to be honest. But they think that it's unfair. And I think that's where people go wrong. Because there's nothing unfair about hell. There's nothing unfair about it. God's justice and his wrath is perfect and it is holy. We, we must remember who we have sinned against. Remember the God that we talked about last week. Who you sin against makes a difference. This is kind of a silly example. and I, I don't, it, I'm not saying this is exactly how it works. But hopefully it 
helps you understand what I'm saying. If how many of you guys here have siblings? Most of you. Okay, I'm sorry. Juliana, you're better off for it. Okay, and here's why. All right, let's see. Josiah. No, no, actually no. This would be a bad example. Miguel. Okay, Miguel. Let's say that Miguel goes up to his brother Alex Jr. and he says, "You know what, Jr." Slap! And he slaps him across the face. Oh boy. That's actually a true story. No, 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 we're not saying that. We're not saying that. No? It happened a few years ago. Okay. No commentary, please. Alright, let me switch. Let's, let's kick it back. Ethan! Many brothers. Ethan goes up. Andy's closest? In brothers? Goes up to Andy, his little brother. Slap! Across the face. Okay? You know Ethan. He gets very angry. He slaps Andy across the face. Oh, boy. Now his dad, Jim, the old man, he goes, I'm, when dad comes home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him. I'm going to tell on you. You're going to be in big trouble. So his dad comes home from work after a long day of construction. Ethan, you are going to be grounded for a month from electronics. No more Discord. <laughs> Ethan, you are you are being punished because you slapped your brother. And you know what Ethan says? He goes, you know what, Dad? You deserve it too. Slap! <laughs> and he slaps his dad across the face. Now what? Now Ethan, now you're grounded from so and so. You're all you're, he's, no phone, no no car, no no food. You can't eat for three months. Ethan's angry. He starts, forget it then. He he gets out. He he, he goes out and slams the door. He's walking. He's just blowing off steam. And all of a sudden, a a cop pulls up. Pulls up next to him. Young man, you seem upset. What's the matter? Officer? I am upset and slaps him across the face. Now, all of a sudden, he's in handcuffs, and he goes into jail. And this is not exactly how the judicial system works, but all of a sudden, he's in jail, and they say, you know what? We need to put him before a judge. So he goes before the judge, and the judge says, young man, I heard that you slapped this officer. Is that true? He said, yes, and I slapped you too, and he slapped the judge across the face. Okay, and then now he goes into, again, that's not how it works, but he goes into solitary confinement because he slapped the judge. It hits the news. It hits the news. Joe Biden hears about it. Joe Biden says, I need to give this young man a visit. Takes him out of solitary confinement and says, is this true? You've been slapping judges and police officers? Yes, Mr. President, and you too! And he slaps Joe Biden! Okay, now, who knows, you know, at the electric chair, okay, that's not what happened, but, <laughs> but something bad happens. All right. The point is this. All right, again, it's silly, it's a silly example, but I want you to remember it. I want you to remember it, because here's why. All right? The, the, who you sin against makes a difference, is what I'm saying. When he slaps his brother Andy, which you may have done a few times in your life. No. 
Uh, oh, no, actually, more likely another way. Okay, yeah. okay, that's probably true. Huh? <laughs> if he slaps his brother Andy, it, the consequences would be much different than if he slapped the president of the United States, right? The consequences would be different because who who you sin against makes a difference, and, and the higher the being, often the higher the consequence. You just even think about the difference between your brother and your dad. Okay, again, it's a silly way to think about it, but the reality is well, sinning against God is a much bigger deal. Bigger deal than when you slap your brother or your dad or a police officer or a judge or the president. We're talking about God of the universe, the creator of all. There is no small sin against God. When we sin against God, it is cosmic treason. The consequence of our sin is not small. When, when, when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and the Bible describes hell or the lake of fire, that's not unfair. See, we need to stop thinking of ourselves as the victim and start realizing that we are the criminal. So many people think, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair. I, I have no choice. I, I, I was born a sinner. I, I, so what, he, he can't hold me accountable. Or why do some go to heaven and some go to hell? That's not fair. You must remember that you are the one who has sinned. That you are the one who has rebelled against God. And that you deserve every ounce of punishment in hell. And there's no arguing that. You see, it's not odd or unfair that someone goes to hell. It's odd or even unfair that any of us would go to heaven. This is your just punishment for the sin that you have committed. And the reality is, is that we all share this one thing in common. You, you realize that? That we all deserve to go to hell, every single one of us. In fact, Paul describes us in our natural state. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 describes every single one of us apart from Christ. Every single one of us in our sin, in our natural condition. He says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, of disobedience, among whom we all, again, not all, with the exception of Josiah, but all, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's how it describes us. This describes every single one of us in our natural state. This is by nature who we are apart from Christ. Now, while we all share this in common, this is our natural state. Under that, there are now two categories in which every human falls under. Just two, though. The Bible says that you're either a sheep or a goat. You realize that? We're all this, in which we just read. And then under that, everyone is either a sheep or a goat. And a goat is the one who stays in this category, who, who deserves the eternal wrath of God and will receive the eternal wrath of God. That is the goat, that you are not saved by God. You are left in your sin and your rebellion, and you will be punished by him for all of eternity. This is for those who refuse to go to the Lord in faith and repentance and who continue to walk in their own ways. That's the goat. 
The one who will receive the eternal wrath of God. And then there's the sheep. And the sheep is the one who by the grace of God has been saved. That you have been removed from his wrath and you've been brought into his family. And you will enjoy him forever. And this is by grace alone. And nothing of your own doing. By no means do you deserve this. Do you deserve to be a sheep? By his grace you are saved. And these are the two types of people in the world. And that's it. A sheep or a goat. You either fall in one of these two categories. A sheep or a goat. No llamas. No in-between. No neutrality. A sheep or a goat. Jesus says in Luke 11, 23, that you're either for me or you're against me. That's it. There will be people that suffer in hell forever. That is a reality. And there will be people who are saved from God's wrath and will be with him in heaven forever. Which are you? I ask you that, and you must ask yourself that. Which are you? A sheep or a goat? Will you receive the wrath of God for all of eternity? Or have you been saved by his grace? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins? Do you believe the Bible is true? We looked at that two weeks ago. We must agree that the Bible is our authority. The Bible says that you are one of these two people. Who are you? Are you the one who will justly be punished for their sins forever? Or are you the one who by God's grace will be spared by his wrath and instead will enjoy his love forever? You are one of these two. Which are you? What did we learn tonight about man? We learned that man is not good. That man is sinful. That we are horrible, sinful beings. And that because of this, we rightfully deserve to be punished by God forever. And the only way to be saved from God's wrath and to have a loving relationship with Him is through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Which we're going to talk about next week. You have to come back next week. You must. No option. Okay? But I do, that's why I do have to sprinkle in a little bit here. Because there is hope in Christ. The story does not end here. The gospel does not end here. Praise God. But enters Jesus Christ. What, what have we learned so far in this series? Well, we said you can break the gospel into four, right? We've looked at two. The first two, God and man. That God, that he's in charge. He's the creator. He's the authority. And he is just. And he will punish sin. And then we have man, us, humanity. We have all sinned, and we all deserve hell. And there's nothing that we can do to be to save ourselves. Nothing to be saved to save ourselves. And then next week we will see that hope that is given to us. Because right now we have no hope. I mean, it sounds bad, and we are left in our sin, and we are left to be justly punished by God's wrath. But next week enters Jesus, and oh my goodness, He is amazing. Just, I just can't wait for you to hear about him next week. Okay? And you're like, I know about Jesus. I know, but he's just amazing. He's the superhero, guys. He's the best, okay? Just wait. Let me end saying a quick word to uh, for the Christians in here and then one last word to 
anyone here who's not a Christian. For the Christian, I want to leave you with just a couple challenges. Uh, first, Christian, don't don't be desensitized uh, to sin. Remain sensitive to sin is what I'm trying to say. See, the, the world around you is trying to make you feel more comfortable with sin, to be more accepting of it, to, to slowly just kind of chip away, chip away where things were once like, oh, no, this is really bad. And then everyone gets heat for it. And then, ah, well, now it's just kind of become accepted. Don't buy into that. Don't forget the weight of sin. You see, sin is not just a, a, an isolated action. That, oh, yeah, this is something that I just do, or I just do this in private. It doesn't affect anyone else. It's okay. No, it is a serious offense against God, and it offends God. And if it offends God, Christian, it ought to offend you. Don't be desensitized to sin. Secondly, Christian, battle sin. Battle your sin. Fight your sin. There ought to be an inward battle going on in your heart every single day. If you can say right now, Christian, you know, I can't really think of any sins that I'm struggling with right now. I don't think I'm really struggling. That means that you aren't fighting. It doesn't mean that you've made it, that you're sinless. It just means that that you're not fighting the sin because there is still residing sin in there somewhere. So don't let sin just sit there and stew in your soul. But fight it. Actively fight it. Christian, are you doing this? Are you recognizing the sin inside you? Are you being accountable with others? Fight your sin. Don't be content with it in your life. Now, if you're not a Christian, I plead with you. Turn to Christ. See, some of you know these truths of the Bible, but you continue to turn away from him. You need Christ. You need him. And whatever reasons you have for turning away from him and rejecting him, I promise you it's not worth it. I urge you, come to the cross in faith and give your life to God that he would save you, that he would save you from his wrath and that he would give you new life. You deserve eternal wrath. You deserve eternal death. There's no question about it. But God offers life. God offers forgiveness. Will you continue to reject him? Or will you come to him in faith and repentance? Well, as we close and as we've been doing, I'd like to leave some time for silent prayer. So where you are, I ask that you quietly reflect on these things and pray to God about your sin and even about the great God that he is and the salvation that we have in Christ. So I'll leave you, leave you a minute or two of silent prayer that I'll close this in prayer.